Hello and welcome back to the Worthy of Sea podcast. This is Chip Stewart. It's Monday, September 25th, 2023. And uh, before I get into the content of uh, this episode, I just want to let you know that that uh, there's a, an email associated with this podcast. It is Worthy is He podcast separated by periods or dots. So worthy.is.he.podcast at gmail.com if you want to uh, send me your feedback. Um, love to hear from you. And um, in this series that I, I am starting today is on the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to be abbreviating it in the, the titles of the episodes, uh, SOTM, Sierra, Oscar, Tango, Mike, um, and then numbering them so that, that they're in order. Um, I'm going to be doing several of these, and um, that way that you all know which one is, is which and which order they come. Um, I just I have to um, say that I feel like I, I've been led to, to do this study that um, that's an, it's very important for me to understand uh, what our Lord is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. And as I go through and I do my study, I'm going to be sharing this with you. And so as part of this study, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 5. Uh, verse 1 through chapter 7, verse 29, for the, the account of the Sermon on the Mount in, in the book of Matthew, and then also looking at the text in the book of Luke uh, in chapter 6, verses 19 through 49. The first thing we have to ask ourselves is, why, why is the Sermon on the Mount important to us? And I think one of the major things we need to acknowledge, right, right off the bat is that he is addressing his disciples. So I think we have to have the assumption that what he is saying throughout this sermon, his teaching here applies to us as his disciples, as children of God. And that is why it's important because as he is going through, what we're going to find out is there's there's not a lot new conceptually in what he's saying. There's some standards that are taken to the next level for sure. But a lot of what he is saying is summarizing what God has already communicated uh, to through the, the, uh, the Jewish people in the Old Testament. So there really is not a lot new here. And what, he, what Jesus is saying here is what the Father is telling him to say. He, he says that explicitly in the New Testament that, that he does and says what the what the father has instructed him to do, and what the father is telling him to say is very consistent. This is the important point. It's very consistent with what has already been communicated in in the Old Testament. So here um, in the first part, we're going to start off with the Beatitudes, and in this section, Jesus is explicitly blessing one condition and sometimes explicitly or implicitly cursing the opposite condition. Um, sometimes if he doesn't, um, doesn't say anything explicitly, sometimes it can be implied that, you know, if the opposite, you know, there, you, you maybe watch out if you're in the opposite um, position. And Jesus, when he, when he was incarnate, when he came, one way we can think about it is he came to aid, reassure, free, and save those who are blessed and then eventually destroy those who are cursed. But that doesn't happen yet, and we'll see that in the reading from, from Isaiah. So 
you know, what is what do we do with what Christ is saying here? And I think um, a couple things is that we can better understand how God sees and judges our behavior as men, as sinful man on this planet, um, back to what he blesses and what he curses. What, what does God think about the behavior of men? And then we can better understand what we should believe, our thoughts, and how we should act as his followers, our actions, our thoughts and actions. So we can we can learn from what our Lord says here about our, our thought life and then how we live our lives before the face of God and amongst our neighbors, family, friends, our, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, things, things like that. So in summary, this is the Lord's expectation of, of his disciples when you're looking at the Sermon on the Mount writ large. So when, as I go through this, as, I, as I'm studying uh, the Sermon on the Mount, my, my approach is based on the fact that God is going to be absolutely consistent with regard to what he blesses and what he curses throughout the scriptures, what his expectations are, um, what he has said. So I go back to the Old Testament a lot to find, you know, this consistency, this history of what God has been communicating to man um, throughout time, and and that Jesus is now bringing together here in the Sermon on the Mount, and at times taking it to a higher standard of behavior, a more holy standard of behavior. So we're going to start with the Beatitudes. I'll read through the two sections from Matthew and Luke. So Matthew, it's in chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And now going to Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich! for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Okay, so we have these two sections, and they do have differences between the two. And the first one that we're going to be looking at is with um, when he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew and blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So we have um, a, a slight difference there. And that's where I'm going to start looking at it and to see what the scriptures 
and saying why are there why is there this nuance why is one poor in spirit and one is poor because for us it, they seem to be two different things and potentially you know mutually exclusive but i think as we we'll, we look at this, the scriptures and we better understand the behavior of man and how god sees it uh, from on high and from from you know his righteous position we'll see that they they are intertwined um, which was very interesting to me. I, I, I was a little bit surprised by that, but it's made clear in the scriptures. So blessed, what does blessed mean? We see it all over the place, um, you know, on, on pillows and whatever when you go to the store, but but what does it mean? Um, it, it could be happy, prosperous, and worldly affairs, um, but the, the, the definition I like is enjoying spiritual happiness and the favor of God. And that's from Webster's 1828 Dictionary. So enjoying the favor of God is being blessed. So we're going to take a look at, at, um, at blessed are the poor and blessed are the poor in spirit. So enjoying spiritual happiness in the favor of God when you're poor and poor in spirit. And um, I'm going to be contrasting these with wicked and cursed and, and haughty and rich as, we, as we're looking at, at these two concepts here. Um, these appear to be generalities as they're being described, uh, general condition of man, um, where in most cases you'll be both one or the other, but, but there are exceptions. Um, I think, you know, we, we can consider Job and Abraham to be poor in spirit. And I'm going to say humble here, and I'll explain that here in a little bit, but rich in earthly wealth. So they weren't both um, rich and haughty. They were rich, but they were also humble. Um, they were they were humble before God. So I think what this is is this is a general exception, or this, uh, this is an exception um, to the general way of fallen humanity. Okay, so Job and Abraham would be exceptions that sometimes people say exception that proves the rule, um, but in general. The, the rich are haughty when you start looking at the scriptures, and the poor are lowly in spirit or humble. And, uh, and we'll see how those two play out. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the Greek word here, I'm probably not going to say it correctly, tohos, is, it means lacking, reduced to begging, helpless, lowly, afflicted. And then pneuma is the word that follows it in spirit. So poor in spirit, um, reduced to begging in spirit, lowly in spirit, things like that. Um, so I, you, you know, I'm like, well, what does poor in spirit mean? It seems a, a bit obtuse. Um, you know, where do you find this in, in the scriptures? And, and as I look through it, it, it seems to me that this is referring to someone who is humble, not lifted up, or haughty in spirit. And we'll see where haughty in spirit does show up in the scriptures. Um, because of its awkward and poor in spirit, I'm thinking it's, it's communicating something else. And when you read the totality of scripture and you know how God sees pride and hates pride and wants us to be humble... There seems to be that lack, this glaring lack of, well, where's humble in the Sermon on the Mount in this part here? I would expect to see blessed are the humble. And I think 
that is what we're seeing here with poor in spirit is a way of describing humility um, and being humble as a person. So I think we're going to see how these things play out. Poor, rich, humble, haughty, oppressed, and oppressors all play together in the scriptures when we start reading them. So let's turn to um, James chapter 4, verse 10. And he says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And we'll come back to this a little bit later. But this is where God is telling us to humble ourselves, be poor in spirit, I think would be another way of, of saying that. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So there is that, that command for us to humble, to be humble, humble ourselves and walk humbly with our God. So let's turn to Psalm 10 at this point. Um, it's titled, Why Do You Hide Yourself? And this one ties both poor and, and poor in spirit, the, those two concepts together. So this is where I believe you know the, it starts being brought together in Scripture. So, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And you know why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? You can you can see Jesus Christ Himself as the answer to this request. He has appeared to address and deal with this very situation. He is no longer far away. Here He is on the earth. He has come to save. In the Sermon on the Mount. He is reassuring the poor that they are blessed. And we need to also remember at this point that when Christ read from Isaiah in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, he only read the first part of Isaiah 61. He stopped at a very critical point. And it says here, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. This is what he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount. He's bringing the good news to the poor and telling them, reassuring that they are blessed. Blessed are the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Stop. Full stop. He stops right there, closes the, the scroll, and hands it back. Because the next line it says, and the day of vengeance of our God, which is not yet, it has not come yet. And he did not come in his, in, in his first appearance, in his incarnation where he went to the cross. He did not come to bring in the day of vengeance of our God. Instead, he was proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, which we're very thankful for because we may not, might not be here if that was the day of the vengeance of our Lord. And then continuing on, it says, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And that sounds like it hasn't happened yet. But you'll also see some other themes here about... Um, to, uh, to grant to those who mourn, in Zion, to, or let me back up, to comfort all who mourn. So that's another part of this within the Beatitudes, which we'll talk about at another time. 
And uh, when he when he closes scripture, he says in, in Luke chapter four, verse 21, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so it he, he announces it and it's being played out. He's describing it in, in his sermon on the mount. So let's continue in Psalm 10 with verse two. So I took that little um, diversion there to read from Isaiah 61. So in verse 2, it says, In arrogance, so think of this as pride. In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. So you see how the prideful, the haughty, the wicked pursue the poor. They oppress the poor. So here, it's implied that those who are prideful, the arrogant, are rich. um, But not necessarily, but it can kind of be implied here. But if you if you're thinking about this, this is this is describing human nature of how we repress each other for our own gain and advantage. And then man will strike terror in his fellow man to achieve this end. And that's that's going to be the last verse of this song. So in arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised for the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. And the one greedy for gain curses and renounces God. So further further indication of pride here when it talks about the wicked boasting about the desires of his soul and he also curses and renounces the lord in the pride of his face the wicked does not seek him all his thoughts are there is no god so this is descriptive of how the lord hates pride and that these people are cursed when they are in this condition Continuing on in verse 5, His ways prosper at all times. Your judgment are on high out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Thought Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. Very prideful statements coming from, from this sort of person. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. It's oppression of, of the poor. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God. Lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, You will not call to account? But you do see, for you note, you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is on the earth may strike terror no more. So as you read through Psalm 10, you, you see how the, the prideful um, the prideful and probably rich are oppressing the poor. So you see pride and probably rich, haughty, and then you have poor and they're not haughty in most in most cases most likely so you're starting to see this this 
combination of arrogance and rich and poor and poor in spirit, humble. So that was Psalm 10. Let's now go to Psalm 73, which also ties the two together with arrogance, pride, um, and the arrogant in their prosperity. So this is the opposite of being humble and poor and afflicted. And I'm only going to read through verse 15. So starting in verse 1, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And may I point out Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart. But like those who, blessed are those who mourn. We'll talk about that another time. Continuing in verse 2, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So here we're tying together how the wicked, the arrogant, the prideful are prosperous and the rich. And we'll, we'll get into, you know, why, why is this with, with the rich? For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Very prideful statements. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. And I'm going to break in here with Luke chapter 6, verse 24 through 26, which are the woes that Jesus pronounces. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Pointing back to how they are, um, let me find it here. Their eyes swell out through fatness, how they're, they're always, um, always sated. They always have enough to eat, maybe more than they need. So woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all, speak, all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So back, that's Jesus' commentary on the rich and, and woe to them. So backing up to verse 12. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean. Back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, which we'll talk about another time. And wash my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. So here again, it's tying together the arrogant, the prideful, the rich, their oppression, their violence. And um, and then you have the opposite side of that, of oppression, oppressing the poor and those who, who are humble. Let's now turn to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. And I bring this verse up because it's also used in James. And it's a little bit different wording probably because he, uh, he took it from the Septuagint, if I'm correct on that. But James chapter 4, verse 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So you see the opposites here and what God honors, what he gives grace to, what he blesses, and then what he curses, what he opposes. Opposes pride, he gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 16, verses 18 through 19. 
Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So here God is desiring for us not to be prideful, to not have a haughty spirit. And to me, this was a key verse that makes me believe that when someone says poor in spirit, it's the opposite of haughty in spirit. And therefore, poor in spirit means humble, a sense of humility, because the Holy Spirit is prideful. And this is something that, like I said, that God speaks about often in the scriptures. He speaks against. So that's why I think when, when uh, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the humble. So Proverbs chapter 18, verse 27 also talks about humble people. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. There's that word haughty again, that prideful person, haughty eyes. But you save a humble people. And the, and the Hebrew here can also mean afflicted or poor, lowly, needy, things like that. So it sounds very much like, like poor in spirit. So for you save a humble people. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause here and ask ourselves, are we a humble people? Is that who we are? Because I believe Christ is telling us here that blessed are the humble. We need to reflect and 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 understand our position. Are we are we humble before our Lord? Are we humble before our fellow man? Or are we are we raising ourselves up? Are we prideful? Are we arrogant? And then if if we're the latter, <laughs> we need to we need to go to the Lord about that and and have him get his assistance cleaning it up, cleaning it out of our lives. Let's now turn to Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes. There's the haughty eyes part of the pride. A lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. Sounds like some of the, the scriptures we were reading earlier. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Sounds like a, a characteristics of the people we were reading about earlier. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 4, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked are sin. And then finally, um, James 4 chap, uh, chapter 4 verses 1 through 10, this ties the desire of riches and pride together. And then it also has um, those who mourn in here, but we'll talk about that another time. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war with you, within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So you have all these, these passions in people of covetousness, these desires to spend it on 
our own to 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 gain to spend things on our own passions to to be prosperous and it's leading us to sin and he ties it in here with god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble which we talked about which we talked about earlier humble yourselves before the lord and he will exalt you so that was blessed are the poor in spirit for yours is the kingdom of heaven let's now transition to luke chapter 6 verse 20 blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of god and as you recognize the, the poor part was tied in with the previous verses that that i read from i was trying to focus mostly on haughtiness pride arrogance and poor in spirit and humility but as you can see that was really tied in together they're, they're they really are hard to divide to to extract from one another whereas it's, it's haughty and rich and poor in spirit and poor so now let's take a look at at um, blessed are the poor so this is the same greek word that was used in matthew for poor and he immediately contrasts it with the rich where he says um, so it, it, down in verse 24, but woe to you who are rich for you have received your consolation. I'm just wondering, you know, because he has a woe here, I'm, I'm wondering if we could all say woe to the prideful, woe to the arrogant following the verse in, in Matthew. I would think that it, it would be um, a sound assumption. So let's put, let's put this in context. Worldly rewards. You know, go back up to James and being a friend of the world, friend of the world system. Uh, you know, I wonder if we can consider riches in this world in general, not always. But the pursuit of the pursuit of riches out of out of pride, out of covetousness, things like that, and, and the world rewarding worldly behavior and and lifting up those who are agents of agents of Satan, agents of the world system who really um, do the bidding of the demonic realm, um, they can find themselves to be rich It's as a reward from the, uh, the world system. And back to what I was saying before, however, doesn't mean every rich person is evil, bad, because there are rich people who are sons of God. Uh, if you look back at Abraham and Job, they are prime examples of wealthy people who follow God, who, who are justified by faith. So it's not every case. It, this is just a general look at what goes on in the world, in the, in, in the realm of man. So let's put this, the rich in context. You, you, you'll see a love of money. Um, greed, covetousness. You, know, you go back to Exodus chapter 20 of the Ten Commandments and violating some of those. You, you may have a tendency, you may see a tendency to not trust the Lord to give you everything that you need. Instead, you trust in yourself, your own power, and that leads you to things that are sin to obtain and keep the wealth that you have. And you, in, and at the end of the day, you are you are serving money. You are serving money. So how do they how do they get rich? Well, um, different ways. Um, they can rob and oppress the poor. If you turn to Psalm seventy three verse eight, um, that's that's one one place that's described. 
but the, the haughty always seem to oppress and take advantage of the poor in the scriptures. Um, you can get rich through theft, um, wicked scales and deceitful weights, Micah chapter 6, verse 11. You can become and stay rich through violence, Micah 6, 12, Psalm 73, 6. You can do it through lies and deception, Micah 6, 12. And you can do it through murder, James 4, 2. And then what can you do with this money? Well, it could be self-indulgence, spending it on your passions, James 4.3, um, using money as might and power and power over other people, um, use it to devise wicked plans, back to Proverbs 6.18, uh, as bribes to pervert justice, just to get what the way you want by bribing others. It may not be the right thing to do, but money certainly... Um, influences people to do it even though it's not right and uh, and finally you know what can you do with money well purchase outcomes you can buy the ends that you want and in a way this is playing god it's prideful behavior it's prideful it's sinful all these things i have described are terrible and this is the general nature of fallen man when it comes to those who serve money, who are rich, what do they do? They sin to stay rich and, and they step on other people. They oppress other people in, in the process of it. Oppress the poor. They oppress the humble. Now, God has commanded how we are to treat the poor. And he, he admonishes us about how we should act um, toward toward others out of what the Lord has given us. So we have to keep in mind, especially as, as his children, that everything we have comes from God. And if everything we have comes from him, he can tell us how to use it. And he blesses us when, when we are obedient in, in what he tells us to do. When you turn to Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. To my point, that's where I'm getting this from, is that everything is the Lord's. James chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. When you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 15, starting verse 7, uh, it talks about opening our hand to a poor brother. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you. I acknowledge that this is given to the nation of Israel. However, I believe this is something that is on the heart of God that he is instructing them to do, but is also good for us to do to our brothers and sisters and, and to our neighbors and to the poor around us. So in any so if among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, The seventh year, the year of release, is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake." 
for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. And especially that last part there about um, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. I don't see why that wouldn't apply to us now. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 14 and 15, how, how should, it tells us how we should treat the poor and needy hired workers. It says here, You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. If you live here in America, I think we have a lot of those right now. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. I'd like us now to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2 and Hannah's prayer. And this is Hannah is Samuel's mother. And it talks about how God will raise the poor and needy, which to me Jesus is echoing here in his Sermon on the Mount by saying, Blessed are the poor. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My, my mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. So let me pause here. And we just talked about the proud and arrogant telling us not to let that arrogance come from our mouth, and then how the mighty, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. And the feeble, the weak, you could consider that um, the humble as well. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillar, the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. So back here in verses 7 and 8, he talks about making the poor rich and, and, and exalting them. Bring them up from the dust, the needy from the ash heap, and have them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. So I believe this is what Jesus is continuing to say when he says, Blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit. Continuing on verse 9, He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Anointed. And in 2 Samuel verse 12, this is a very interesting analogy here. Um, this is when Nathan the prophet confronts David about his um, adultery with Bathsheba um, and, and the murder of Uriah. But I think it's very interesting here how in the analogy that Nathan uses is involves a rich and a poor man. And I think this continues along the theme of how the rich treat the poor in this life um, in general. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. 
and he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. It just talks about the, the heartlessness and the cruelty that the rich can have upon the poor. And then you have David's response starting in verse 5. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. So he knows it's wrong. He knows this treatment that has been just described to him is is absolutely wrong and cruel. Then, Talking and then continuing on to Nathan and and then what he proceeds to tell David. Nathan said to David, "You are the man." Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, "I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives in your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more." Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. This is a description of how David murdered, committed adultery, stole, coveted his neighbor's wife. This is is really a reminder to us as children of God about covetousness and being satisfied with what the Lord provides us and not to pursue riches in this this prosperity that can lead to actions like like what David did here. I mean the Lord says he provided every he anointed him. He delivered David. He gave him his master's house. He gave him his master's wives. He he gave him the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And and the Lord's like was that not enough? And yet, it wasn't enough for David. He, he, he had to oppress someone who was at a lower station in life than him to steal his wife. Oppress and kill him. Wickedness. But thankfully for us, David provides us a great example of humbling himself at that point before the Lord and, and begging for forgiveness, going to the Lord. And, and asking for that forgiveness. He, he has set a very good example for us in that, in that manner. And we must remember that, that the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us um, of our sins when we confess our sins, and he'll cleanse us of all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. Let's now look at Proverbs chapter 22, verse 16, about oppressing the poor. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Psalm 86, verses 1 through 7, talking about I am poor and needy. And then Jesus is saying that this is the blessed condition to have, is to be poor and needy. That's what we should be like. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. 
For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. Another example of um, how people get riches, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 11, like the partridge that gathers a brood that she did not hatch, so is he who gets riches, but not by justice. In the midst of his days, they will leave him, and at his end, he will be a fool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention, I'm not going to read through this part, but you can read it on your own. But I think the, um, the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, also is descriptive of how the rich treat the poor and what God's expectations are and what he blesses. He blesses the poor man and not the rich man. In that, in that story, which I believe is a true story. There is a man named Lazarus and there is a rich man who, name, who remains nameless um, in, in history. Let's now take a look at the heart attitude toward money. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. This is very instructive for us as his children. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That statement right there is indicative of where people who chase after riches, their heart is in money. They're serving money. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. A stern warning for us. Um, when you turn to Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 26, this is a story of the uh, the rich young man where Jesus confronts him and and he says, yes, I have kept all the commandments. And he says, okay. Go and sell all your possessions and follow me. You know, give it to the poor. Go sell your possessions, give it to the poor, and follow me. And then he, uh, he turns away disappointed because that's not what he wants to do. Those things are more important for him than eternal life, than for the Lord. And, um, and then the Lord tells everyone, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Well, why is this? It's because they're, they love money. It's because of pride. You see how these things are intertwined? And I think that's why he can come out and make this statement here. And again, is it every rich man that we're talking about? I would say not, going back to the examples of Abraham and and Job. But in general, the general rule is, yeah, probably so, because they're lifted up. They're haughty in spirit. And they're they're committing all these other sins to to stay rich. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. This is where we are told that, that God has chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? This helps to put into context when he says, blessed are the poor. Continuing on, which he has promised to those who love him. I probably shouldn't have stopped there. I'm going to back up. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called, being the name of Jesus Christ? So James is coming right out and, and, and putting these things together where God blesses the poor. He's chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. And the, he's calling out the rich ones as being the ones who oppress the poor and drag them into court. And the rich being the ones who blaspheme the honorable name of Jesus Christ. And then also in James, continuing to chapter 5, starting in verse 1, he is now condemning the rich. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. He's warning them. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Please refer back to how the, the laborers should be paid that I, I read earlier. I believe that was from Deuteronomy. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Very descriptive there. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. This talks about the desire to be rich and the love of money. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. So brothers and sisters, we shouldn't desire to be rich so we can avoid the temptation. For we brought nothing into the world. And he tells us to be content with food and clothing. If you, if you go back to what Jesus said uh, and turn to Luke chapter 12, starting verse 22, he says, don't be anxious. You know, he's, he, care, he gives us food and clothing. But we need, to, we need to be focused on storing up our treasure in heaven. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest?' 
Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So that's the end of the scriptures that I found. As it ties together, blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit. And the opposite about woe to the the haughty in spirit, woe to the rich, if you will. Um, so what do we do with this? What do we do with this? I, I think I think in coming to this understanding and knowing what, what our Father blesses and what He curses, um, I, I think we can start to orient ourselves in the direction that He wants to go and start moving that way. His concern is about our heart and our love for Him, frankly. And He wants us to store our treasure in heaven, not here on earth where this stuff's going to get burned up, can get stolen, moths eat it up, or rust, goes bad. He wants us focused on the kingdom. And what is that, you ask? Well, that's spreading the gospel. It's making disciples. It's carrying his cause forward and being obedient. He tells us to care for the poor, open our hands to them. Let us do that. There's other other scriptures as well that 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 talk about that. And I, I I'm already almost at an hour here, so please forgive me. Um, but I think we need to each one of us needs to reflect on what's our relationship with the worldly things, with money and things of that nature, or, or, or is, our, is that orientation we have leading us to sin, to keep that money? You know, are we stealing? Are we stealing from our employers? Are we you know, not reporting things on our taxes that we should? You know, is, is this love of money causing us to sin? And where's that come from? In my opinion, it comes from a lack of trust in God, and I think that's that's come through in the scriptures here about these these folks don't trust God, and they they do whatever they can to be rich. So we need to ask ourselves, do we trust God to provide? That's what he tells us, don't be anxious. He'll give us clothes, and he'll give us food. He'll give us what we need. He says, instead, seek his kingdom. Could I be doing this better? Absolutely. And I, I, I pray that he's, he'll help lead me down the path um, because this isn't easy. And living in America, this is not easy. But I think we need to really reflect on blessed are the poor and think about what he says about money and the rich. And, and then also, and, and it's, it's, imper- it's an imperative, is that 
we look at our own humility, look at our own pride. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the humble is the way I, I think about that now after going through this. Are we, are we truly humble before the Lord? Are we truly humble before those people um, around us? Or are we prideful? This society, this, this world system wants us to be prideful, wants us to be puffed up, arrogant, boastful. God says don't be like that. He hates that. It's an abomination to him. Haughty eyes. So please go and reflect on this and, and pray about it. Because like I said, living in America, this is, it's like you're, it's like you're trying to swim upstream, but with God, he'll make it easy. He'll make it easy. And it's important for us to be obedient to our Father and to show our love for our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave everything for us. He's worthy. He is worthy. May the Lord bless you. Amen.